Good morning, everyone. How you doing? You ready to worship the Lord? Let's stand up. All right, let's do it.
Anybody got some joy today? Anybody got some joy today? There's joy in the house of the Lord. Let's get it.
guys are like, what do we do now? It's waiting for you to still have joy in the Lord. We're just going to start with prayer. Lord, I thank you for who you are. I thank you that, that you love us so. And God, there's so much that's going on in our lives. And this whole series has been just about, um, just about many of us just recognizing that it's okay that we're not okay. Because um, we have a God who loves us so much. And we have people, the people of God that love us so much. And that there is healing in the name of Jesus. So, and, and also through help. And so, Lord, right now as we... Um, take some time to go ahead and um, celebrate communion today. Um, we just want to give you praise and we ask for your presence to meet us right here. In Jesus' mighty name, everybody says, amen. Have a seat. Right, we're going to celebrate, celebrate communion today. And... Um, and so we, it's uh, the table of the Lord, and that's what we're celebrating. It's his table, not ours. And so um, we're just going to move to our period of communion, and um, we recognize, and we're getting closer to where we will celebrate that. Um, we recognize that on the night in which he, uh, Jesus gave himself up for us, he went ahead and he, was, he met with his disciples in a Seder meal. And at one point, um, he gave thanks to God for the bread, and then he went ahead and broke it, and he gave it to his disciples and said, Take and eat from this, all of you. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, after the supper was over, he took the cup, and there's several different cups in, um, in this meal. And um, many scholars, and I also agree that it was probably the cup of redemption. And so Jesus went ahead, and he began to pass around this cup after asking uh, and blessing it from God. Thank you, God, for giving us fruit of the vine that we may have drank. And he began to pass it around once again. And this time he changed it again. He said, um, this is not uh, any other special cup. It's not recognizing Moses. What this is, this is my blood poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And so what we remember that in remembrance of these, your mighty acts in Jesus Christ, we offer ourselves as a holy and living sacrifice in union with Christ's offering for us as we proclaim the, the mystery of faith. And that mystery of faith is that Christ has died, Christ has risen, and aren't you ready? Christ will come again. Uh, and right now will be good. Um, so, um, and, and so what's really cool about that is that one day we get to feast at his heavenly banquet table and we don't gain a pound. And we got new bodies one day. Anybody like that? I like it. Um, and so no more working out. What are we going to do? We're going to have a lot of fun. Um, and so, uh, but, but the Lord, he, this is just a glimpse of heaven. A lot of times we get so caught here, we recognize that our life is just, as the scripture says, a mist. Um, and to recognize that the Lord came, Jesus came and gave up his life for you and me. He did that to redeem us, to right the wrongs. And so when we look at um, the communion, um, one of the things that we, we look at a couple things. One of those is, um, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus to us? Who is Jesus to you and me? Um, a lot of, you know, I think I've said it before, but the great um, writer, theologian, whatever he was, he was an incredible man, um, C.S. Lewis. Um, you guys may know the line, the witch in the wardrobe that he wrote. But C.S. Lewis um, was an atheist, and he came to know the Lord. And he became one of the greatest apologists, meaning someone who, who understood the faith. And he 
coined a phrase that you got to deal with Jesus in three ways. He's either a liar, a lunatic, or he's savior. And he says, if he's a liar, then all of Western civilization is based off of uh, a lie. If not, then he, and he's a lunatic, then I think now Western civilization is based off of lunacy, um, but not, not before. And the other, the ultimately, the other thing is, then who is he? He is the savior of the world. And one day, we got to confess him as Lord. So my suggestion is, know him as that now. Um, don't wait till it's too late, all right? So, um, savior. So who is Jesus to you? The other thing is, do you have sin in your life? And somebody, if you just walk in and say, oh, he said the S word. Yeah, that's church. That little word, that means a lie. Many of us have, have we've been talking about um, different types of abuse and other things that bring about um, mental situations. And we talked about one of those things is spiritual abuse. And many of us have been, been beaten over the head with an 80-pound Bible and dangled us over the fires of hell rather than teaching about the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Sin just means that we miss the mark of what God intended, that we do something that God didn't intend for our life. And if you, ha- you want to know whether you have sin in your life, look around. Yes, every single one of us. Look up here, lots of it, all right? So the main thing is we have sin, and sin is what separates us from God. And I want to let you know, hell is not a place that God sends people because he's mean. It's a place that people go because they want to pay for their own sin. And I don't want to pay for mine. I can't. So Jesus paid for mine, so I'm going to take that get-out-of-hell-free card by putting my life in the hands of Jesus Christ and saying, hey, I want to repent, which means just turn from where I was going, and I want to seek Jesus, all right? And the last thing is, do you want to, uh, are there people in your life that you don't get along with very well, that you can't live at peace with? I will tell you, there's some people that no matter what you do, you're not going to be able to live at peace with. Um, you may be the person, oh boy, you can live at peace with. Guess what? Hand it over to Jesus. Say, okay, I've done everything I can. I'm going to keep doing that, but Lord, I want you to take the rest. So those three things, do you, who is Jesus to you? Um, do you have sin in your life that you want to repent of? And also, hey, I want you, Lord, you to bridge those gaps as much, as far as it depends on me and your Holy Spirit to bring peace with each other in that, all right? So uh, we're going to go ahead and celebrate the communion meal. I'm going to serve the servers first. All right, as I said before, um, one of the things that we do have is um, the ushers will lead you. We'll come from the back 
down. They'll tell you which way to go, but primarily this side, down this way, this side, down that way, and that side, down and around that way. Um, we also recognize that there's, there's gluten allergies and stuff, so we have gluten-free Jesus here, as I say. Um, and we also recognize that um, still we're in a, in a COVID disease mindset. We want you to partake of, of the Lord's Supper. It's not a matter of what we do. It's a matter of the presence of Christ meeting here. And we have these little um, communion cups here that have a wafer up top. Um, so you just got a, it's a small cellophane. I can't do it because I have no fingernails. But, um, but you, you know, that's for you if you want it prepackaged and safe uh, in all those areas. And again, we try to wash up and all that kind of stuff too. But if you're on that side and you need any of those last two that I talked about, Feel free to just walk around and come down this way. We'll go ahead and let you. But mainly, it's, it's not a time for us to like go, hey, how you doing? Good seeing you. Hey, what are we going to do later? That kind of stuff. Just use it as a time because in communion, whatever background you're from, um, whether you actually believe the elements become the body of the Lord Jesus Christ where it's transubstantiation or whether it's just the presence of Christ meets us here, consubstantiation, there's the technical terms. I gave you terms today. Um, then if that's, if that's what you think, it's not what I'm concerned about. The main thing is the presence of Christ meets you here. Focus on him. Focus on who he is to you. Is there stuff in your life that you want to repent of and peace with one another? And if you, if you can't make it up here, just kind of raise your hand and one of our officials will make sure that you'll get served. All right? Come to the table of the Lord as you're led.
tasted and seen of the sweetest of loves where my heart becomes free and my shame is undone in your presence As the um, praise team is getting served and anybody else, I don't know if anybody else needs, if anybody else didn't, just kind of raise your hand, we'll make sure we get to you. Um, but it's not, just, it's not just the bread and the grape juice and all that stuff. It's the, the focus that we meet the presence of Christ and we remember, we remember what Jesus did for us, what God did for us in Jesus by giving up his life. We also experience what he's doing for us now and then we also look forward to, to when he comes back and gets us in Jesus name and so one of the cool things is we hope that we will be for the world the body of Christ his visible entity of the love of Christ in this world for a world that so much needs it amen, amen. all right at this time our kids can go ahead and head to Haven kids and somebody else just say hey happy end of February
Good morning. Welcome to everybody and all those who are visiting with us today. Um, we have a lot of prayer requests today, so if we could just breathe in and just let it all out and everything that you came in with today, just give it to God as we ask the Holy Spirit to come into our house today. Uh, Carol Henson asked for prayers for Mary Sanders, who's in the hospital and she has a brain tumor, and also for Samantha, who's in the hospital with pneumonia. Debbie Chadwick asked for prayers for Clay Comers, who had a biopsy on Friday, and we're praying for good results. And Ruth is asking for her sister, who will, Joanne, who is going to be starting chemo on Tuesday. We've been praying for her, so really pray hard that she gets through this phase of her cancer treatments. And we're also praying for Debbie Ross and family um, of the online. Her mother, um, Bertha Klein, passed away yesterday, and we're still praying for Dell for healing and that he gets feeling back in his feet. And we are praying for Erin May, whose mother had a stroke on Tuesday as well, praying for her and the, her healing. She seems to be doing better when I talked to Jeremy earlier. Um, we're praying for Joanna. Obviously, I'm not Joanna. She and Ron are homesick today, so pray for healing for them. And pray for her friend Karen Brown, who is in the hospital, and for the children who lost their parents this week to an act to, to God knows why. Um, and we are also asking for um, Janet, asked for Matt's girlfriend, his father, who passed away suddenly um, this week after he learned that he had stage four cancer. And he's only in his 40s, so can we pray for that family that they find comfort in God? Um, we are also, um, Holly's asking for prayers for her dad for unspoken needs. We're also praising that they're planning a wedding that the family would, would be able to celebrate with that new gentleman. And, we, um, and you saw the youth is going to rally this week. So pray for the children, all the kids that are going, that are going to be there, for all the chaperones, that God will touch them, all the youth that are coming. And also for, we have chrysalis this weekend as well. So God is doing mighty things in our young people. So we need to pray for them. This world is kind of crazy out there, and we need God more than ever right now. So if we could close our eyes in prayer, please. Lord, we just thank you that we can come to you, that we can bring all our needs and cares to you, that you are healing those that we lifted up to you, Lord, and you're comforting those that are in need of prayer right now to get through this journey that they are traveling with grief, Lord. Be with those that are unspoken needs. Be with Pastor Jack as the Holy Spirit comes into this house today, Lord that his words be ones that we can receive and use and take into our heart. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Bipolar disorder, depression, anxiety, ADD or ADHD. We cannot avoid the topic of mental illness. What does this mean for those of us who are born again, blood-washed followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, and yet live in this real world where people have real problems and real difficulties. You have to face it somewhere. So even if you want to avoid the subject here, you have to ask the question, 
what are we as Christians supposed to do? Good. Everybody glad to be in the house of the Lord today? Can I, everybody give a big welcome to online church. Say hey. hey. There you go. Good. That was good. That was a good one. All right. Um, so a, a couple things. Easter's coming. Um, the 31st of March, it'll be here. And so um, uh, we're going to start a new series leading up to that um, in the next couple weeks. And it's going to be called A Couple Days in One Week. And it's going to be uh, a, a couple different days, things that happen. We're going to talk about things that lead, led up to the Holy, uh, Holy Week of Jesus, or what's known as Jesus Passion Week. So, um, so be planned out for that. We're going to talk about lots of different things that went on um, in that. And to put on your calendars early, we have, um, I'm going to get, so you can invite people and you can get ready. Good Friday service. Good Friday service is, um, some people tell me it's their favorite service of the year. Um, and it is 7 o'clock on the tw Friday, March 29th. So um, we'll, we'll be here. Come as you are, coming in from work or, or what have you. Come and bring anybody that you want. It's a, it's a, a neat service. Um, and then uh, on Easter Sunday, we have two options. We have church, um, both are the same, um, at 815. We'll have an 815 option and then a 1015 as well to make sure that we get for the number of people. So it'll be a great time. Hard to believe we're already looking at Easter. Easter is earlier this year. And so we had a crunch between, seems like we just got done Christmas, doesn't it? But, um, you know, jingle bells and uh, open Peter Cottontail, right? Or, you know, things that he brought. But anyway, that's what we're doing. So we wanted to go ahead and I wanted to touch on that as well. And please check if you look in front of you, um, if you're not in the front row, you have a QR code that kind of opens to an app. It gives you all the updates and then you can sign up um, for updates, text updates or what have you. Um, but that has, you, you don't have to with the app, but that gives you any bit of information because there's a lot of stuff going on. There always is around here and it's exciting. Um, with a number of the things that, um, that we do here as a church in the world. Okay? So you ready? Yeah. We are in our last week of our series, um, Finding Peace of Mind. And I don't know if it's like you, I found out the lack of peace of mind I have in my life in each of these areas. I think I've suffered from each one multiple times in my life. Anybody else with me who's been here um, throughout the weeks? But uh, I've, I've dealt with negativity. I've dealt with anxiety. Um, I tend to be an anxious person. Um, and so uh, today is no different. Um, so we're in the last week, and we've been talking about mental health. Why are we doing that? Because we need to. Um, because the church has been eerily and wrongly silent about the issue of mental health. And so, um, so I think it's something that we need to talk about. Gotten great feedback from people on this series, and um, it's something I think we just need to address uh, fairly regularly. Because if you're like me, we get into patterns where we go back into what we said, the neural pathways. It's easy to, you know, when we hear something like this, that we say, okay, I'm going to create a new thought pattern. I'm not going to get so upset. I'm not going to do anything to fix it. I'm not going to be negative. And then you go, okay, I wasn't negative. And then before we know it, there's a lot of things to make you feel negative, and before you know it, you're headed down that negative thought pathway, which takes you down another area, which brings about depression and anxiety and all the other things start to go. So if you feel like you're on the edge and you can't take much more, I want you to know I understand. 
I'm alive, and I understand this world. And I've, I've shared with it uh, a couple times um, my own story, but like I said, I've dealt with many of these in my own life and continue to struggle and fight the battles against some of them with the Lord's help and with um, professional help. But um, I've talked openly, and um, but I've had a consistent track record of kind of dealing with some of these things. And um, I feel like I'm in a better place in my life in dealing with them because of uh, being open about it and also talking to people. Like, you may be headed down the road of life, like everything seems to be going normal and well, and you're rolling along, or, you know, it's not normal and well, but you're just rolling along with it. You know, like everything is just hectic, and you're like, I'm just keep going, I just keep going, and you're going through that. And then all of a sudden, one day, smack, it hits you. It hits you. You, you just have this overwhel- overwhelming feeling of dread or overwhelming feeling of weight. You don't want to get out of bed. You don't want to do anything. Um, you're emotional, but you're trying to keep it in. And you're, you're just in a bad place where you just hit a wall and everything is too much to the point that if somebody asks you to, to do something like, hey, do you mind taking this out? You'd be like, I can't do it. You know, um, I remember one time when I was, um, it was during a time of transition. Um, I was in the United Methodist Church at the time and they had decided to move me um, to an area. And it was a great area to Lewis, Delaware, but not everything. I just didn't feel like it was God's timing. But the people down there, God bless that ministry. But it was just one of those areas I wasn't settled in life, um, in, in the move and everything. And so we were headed down to go look about a place to live, to do some other stuff. And on the way down, we were in my car, and the kids were young. And as we were going down, I had a stick shift, um, you know, uh, Isuzu Rodeo. Um, some of you remember those, all right? And I had it. I thought it was really cool. And I was driving, and then I, we were turned right on 896 to go the old way that you used to go down there. And when I did, I pushed in the clutch, and I went to shift, and I shifted, but the clutch didn't come back up. So meanwhile, I've got all this other kind of craziness in my life, and the clutch went all the way to the floor. And, the only, and I reached down, and I grabbed it, and it went, clump, and I, nothing is good when your car goes clump just to let you know. And so I pulled over to the side of the road right there on 896, and I was about ready to lose it in my mind. And I just started yelling out the window, slow down. Hey, everybody. Hey, you're passing me. You know, and I was just being stupid. All right. So that continued. And I, we got home at tow truck and all that kind of stuff. Then I was looking about a car. So I went to, up to Westchester to find a car. Didn't find one, was coming back down. I saw a car that I, that I liked. It was a Jeep. And I'm a Jeep guy, and I was, it was the first one I had. And then I was sitting there, and, it was, uh, and, I, and I, I liked it. I test drove it. I said, oh, this seems awesome. It was a 2002, and the year was 2005. I'm like, this is perfect. It's got leather seats. I never, anything in my life, I had pleather seats, you know what I mean? Um, and it was really nice and top of the line for 2002. And I went, and we were filling out the paperwork and everything. Finally, something's going right in life. And I remember I was sitting there, and the guy comes out, and he says, hey, everything's good, but there's one thing. You can't take the car home today. Boom, boom. Everything came crashing down at that moment. I couldn't take it home because the horn was broke. And they can't let it go without the horn, and they needed to go ahead and get the part, and they didn't have the horn. To which I said, forget it then. I'm done. Everybody in the whole place was looking at me like, 
he's leaving because of a horn? And I was just like, no, I'm not doing it. I'm, no, I'm, I'm out of here. And I was walking up. He's like, sir, sir, please come back. And Melissa's looking at me like I'm crazy because at that point I was, I was losing it over a horn. And they actually worked it out and got me some really nice car to take home and borrow. But anyway, that's not the point of the story. The point of the story is a horn made me almost walk away from a car that I had for years that I really loved because that was just the last straw. And I, I had broken at that moment. And the, guy, the quizzical look on the guy's face was absolutely crazy. I think he was throwing in air fresheners and everything else. I don't know, but it was absolutely insane. And when I look back, I'm like, what was I thinking? I was, I was losing my mind. But it was because at that moment, everything else had piled on to a level that one more thing I just couldn't emotionally take. And so for those of you who feel that pressure mounting or have in your life, where you, you're about ready to crumble, you feel like you're going to break and you feel like, every, like you're coming apart at the seams, I want to tell you, you're not alone. You're not alone at all. And because there are so many people that are hurting, and so many people are just at the point of burnout in life. I, I, uh, I'm going to give you a couple of these. You'll like these. These are one-liners. All right, here we go. A man asked his wife while he was doing a crossword puzzle, and the crossword clue was overworked postman. Can you help me? And she said, sure, how many letters? He said, well, I'm guessing way too many. It's good, all right? You like that one? Post office guy likes it, so that's all I care about, all right? Anyway, there was an overworked office manager, and the salesperson said, this computer will cut your workload by 50%. She said, give me two of them. There you go, all right. But look at this. For, someone once said, for a couple years, I've been, I've been blaming... Um, my, my being tired and feeling overworked on, on iron poor blood, lack of vitamins, dieting, and a dozen of other issues. Now I found the real reason. I'm tired because I'm overworked. The population of this country is 237 million. 104 million are retired. That leaves 133 million to do the work. There are 85 million in school, which leaves 48 million to do the work. Of this, there are 29 million employed by the federal government. This leaves 19 million to do the work. <laughs> Four million are in the armed forces, which leaves 15 million to do the work. Take from the total um, 14,800,000 people who work for state and city governments, that leaves 200,000 people to do the work. There are 188 um, in hospitals, so it leaves 12,000 to do the work. Now, there are 11,998 people in prison. That leaves just two people to do the work, and you're just sitting there listening to me tell this. <laughs> All right? Any, anybody ever feel like that at times? You feel like everything is, is going to uh, just break. According to a 2022 Gallup poll, 76% of employees experience um, burnout, or 75% burnout in at least uh, sometimes. That's three out of every four worker in the United States. And if you're normal, just from uh, work alone, that means 75 to 80%, depending upon what you look at, you're flirting with burnout. And it's just so, such a big part of your life. Everywhere we turn, people feel stressed out, overwhelmed, and they're on the edge of burnout. Um, in a 2022 workers' burnout rate poll, the top um, people for burnout are K through 12 teachers. 
And teachers say amen, right? And um, they are at 44% of those polled, and um, the, the closest to them is 11% difference. You can go all the way through and find some others. Um, at, you know, I looked at pastor statistics, and 50% of pastors feel unable to meet the demands of the job. 90% of pastors report to working between 55 and 75 hours per week. Women clergy are more likely to experience burnout with 65% significant uh, stress and 40% suffering symptoms of burnout. 80% of seminary and Bible school graduates who enter the ministry will leave within the first five years. 40% of pastors have considered leaving their churches in the past three months. 85% of pastors said their greatest problem is that they're sick and tired of dealing with problem people. I, I didn't go through this poll, but anyway. 45.5% um, uh, of pastors say burnout led their decision to leave the pastoral ministry. And three out of four pastors feel they are inadequately trained to cope with stress caused by ministry demands. You can go through each, uh, anybody's career, wherever you are, you can fit in somewhere. The numbers are, are staggering of 30, or just in life. People are 34, three to four out of every four are experiencing burnout. So I'm going to talk about burnout. And so what is burnout? It's not just the result of working long hours. It can be that, but it's so much more. According to experts, burnout is a combination of mental, emotional, and physical exhaustion from multiple sources complicated by several situations. So when we look at defining burnout, it's a reflection of our inability simply to balance all the competing demands that life throws our way and we struggle with. It could be the social pressure, that you, you may be the person that has to be there for everyone. You have to keep it together. Nobody else can keep, can, keeps it together, but you're the one who keeps it together. And you may have to live up to others' expectations or feel that way. It's where you always say yes to everyone. And it's, you have to be available when somebody needs you. It's all, all the giving and all the being positive that people want you to have. And it may be even that you're burning out from the perceived image that you think you've built that people think you have. And you got to show everybody. It may be just that you're burnt out from really trying to show everybody that your life is the happiest life in the world on social media. It could be the financial pressure. You say, oh my gosh, I got to pay for this. Oh, I, I got to pay for all the kids' stuff. I got, there's so many demands on bills and everything keeps going higher and higher. And I feel like I'm getting more financially behind. Have you seen the cost of gas and groceries and, and rent and mortgages? I mean, it's out of control and utilities and all these kids' activities and on and on. And I want to be a great parent. I don't want to be like, I don't want them to say I'm like Susie's mom who doesn't do anything. You know, I mean, we have this on us so much. And you may be on the other side of it. You may be dealing with aging parents and the stress of dealing with that and then breaking down. It could be health issues. It could be the stressful work environment. It could be just all the craziness and division and hatred in the world. It could be some kind of spiritual guilt that you're not good enough, that you're not living up to God's expectations, that you're not living to the expectations that you set for yourself as a, as a Christian. And sometimes it just feels way too much. And what's interesting that I find out is if you hurt from something, like for instance, if you broke your arm and you, you go to work or school with a cast on, people say, what happened? You tell them the story and then somebody say, can I sign it? Remember those days when you sign something like that? But if you go ahead and tell, you break down mentally, sometimes there's a stigma to it and people aren't saying, oh, let me be there for you and sign your, I don't know, head. I don't know, but sign something. They don't say that. They, what do they do? You become often like, did you hear so-and-so had a mental breakdown? Did you, 
Did you hear about that? You become, there's a stigma that's attached to it that ends there. Nobody is shocked when you come in with a cast on. At least at first they may be, oh, what happened? And you tell them, they're like, oh my gosh, did you hear they broke bones? No, nobody does that. But there often is this thing about when we break down spiritually. And if you're a Christian, many people, many, quote, well-meaning Christians will say, well, aren't you a Christian? Don't you really love Jesus? You should, shouldn't really be struggling. Or then there's a person, there must be some unconfessed sin in your life. And it just confounds that all the more. And you just can't handle something more. And if you're battling those feelings of being overwhelmed, you're not alone. And so today's title of the message is On Fire Against Burnout. So let's pray. Father, we pray by the power of the Holy Spirit today that you would do a work in our hearts especially God and those that are hurting. Holy Spirit, be our guide and our teacher. Be our healer. Be our comforter. God, help us to encounter you and your ways. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Everybody says amen. amen. Okay, who's a little bit stressed? Who's feeling a little burned out? So I'm going to talk about both those today, and I'm going to try to help you with the difference. Number one, stress. What is the difference? Stress is generally... A short-lived and related, it's short-lived and related to a temporary project or event. Something happens. So you might have a, a, a work presentation or one for school that you're, or test coming up. And um, you may be trying to solve a problem or issue. And it's, once you get it, you'll get through the stress, but it's important. Or you've got a new job um, or you're moving. And there's some kind of temporary event or, or situation or problem that is a challenge that's temporary, but it's causing a lot of stress in your life. Now, burnout is different. Burnout, on the other hand, is a chronic stress that feels never-ending. No matter what you try, you can't get through it. You say, hey, I'm going to go ahead and do this, and you do it, and it's still there. Oh, I'm going to go on vacation, and you go on vacation, and it's still there. And when you turn around the car or the plane coming back, it comes back in vengeance, and it's still there. It's there every day. When you go to sleep, you fall asleep from exhaustion and dealing with it mentally. And when you wake up, you say, oh my gosh, I woke up. Here it is again. And it's there, and it's there, and it's there. And you just can't handle it um, more and more. And you say, I, you get to the point where you say, I don't even care because I don't have anything left on me in the inside. I feel dead and I feel hopeless. And if you find yourself in any of those two places, you're in good company. And I'm going to share with you a story of a man in the Old Testament. His name is Elijah, and he experienced the same feelings you're experiencing today. And this man loved God. He was a powerhouse for God. He was a, a major person for God. He, but he battled with very real anxiety and depression, exhaustion, and burnout. And so if you're struggling, it doesn't make you a bad Christian. If you're struggling, it makes you hum human. Look at the person next to you say, hi, human. All right, it's nice to know that we're human here at times. And so, so that's one thing I want you to remember through all this. So this whole series, if you're struggling with these things, you do because you're alive and you're a human. All right, and so, and so get what you need, the place that you need to be healthy in this. Elijah was very close to God. Let me give you some of his spiritual resume. He confronted the evil king Ahab and told the king, you're sinning against God. That took enormous courage because you could be killed. He prophesied because the king's evil uh, sinfulness, and there was a. He prophesied there's going to be a drought for three years, and because of that, the king really hated him and sent men to kill him for three years. And they tried to kill him, tried to kill him. Through that time, God miraculously 
provided bread and food from, from the ravens. He was um, with him. <coughs> he comforted him, and God strengthened him all the way. He actually, in that point, raised a widow's son from death, and he stood in probably the biggest scene in Elijah's life where he stood against the 850 false prophets and called down fire from heaven, and it, it, God's fire burned up all the offerings, and he said, go kill those suckers, and he killed them all. And that was the biggest part that was there. And he continually in his life was a conduit for God's goodness, power, and the glory of God Almighty. He did this all with faith and strength and power. And so much so that after that great point of when he, he was uh, on Mount Carmel and they killed the prophets of Baal, um, all of a sudden, Ahab had a wife, and her name was what? Jezebel. Anybody name your kid Jezebel? Nope. That, that kind of died with this one, right? But um, Jezebel basically looked at her husband after the prophets were killed by Elijah and the rest of them and said, basically, as honey, if you ain't getting the job done, I'm going to take care of it. And so she sent a message to uh, Elijah and said, yo, prophet boy, by this time tomorrow, Mark my words, you'll be dead. So you can figure, as the story goes, Elijah who stood up to everybody and all these armies and was on run for three years. I'm sure he's like, yeah, whatever, honey. No, he did exactly the opposite. Exactly the opposite. This guy experienced just the amazing protection and guidance and strength and provision from God. And yet, at this point, when one irritated woman named Jezebel said, I'm going to get you, sucker, he decided to run and run and run, and he fell apart. I get it, because it's amazing what you can endure until that moment when somebody, that last person, criticizes you or your kids cause a problem or an issue or you're dealing with so much stress at work or in family and you're feeling financial pressure and you, get, you go to the doctor for a normal checkup and you get news of a bad report. All that time, you may get it, and there may be most times in your life, you, you handle it, you handle it, you handle it, until one time, one of those many things hits you, and then everything seems to feel like it's weighing and crumbling down. All that Jezebel did was make a threat. And it's fascinating, we hear nowhere in Scripture that she actually followed through with what she said she was going to do. We don't hear it at all. All she said was, I'm going to kill you. And... She made a threat. She, no army that we know of, no mercenaries, no vicious ninjas or, um, you know, some strong Sith from the dark side. None of that. She went ahead and just said, hey, I'm going to kill you by tomorrow. And often as we do, Elijah crumbled under one of Satan's greatest tools, fear. Fear at that moment. He began to say, I no longer have what it takes. I can't handle this. And they fall apart. So let's look at the story in 1 Kings 19, 3 um, through 5. Here we have. Elijah was afraid. There it is, right? There's the tool. Elijah wasn't afraid when he stood down 850 prophets. Elijah wasn't afraid when King Ahab said things and when he said things to his face. But because of a threat, Elijah was afraid. And what did he do? Ran for his life. We're going to talk about that in a second. And when he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. And he came to a broom bush and sat down under it, and he prayed that he might die. This is Elijah, okay? 
This is the prophet of all prophets. Still today, in the Seder meal, they leave a seat and the door open in case Elijah wants to stop by. Right? And here he is with one threat, wishing he would die. And what does he say? I've had enough, Lord. Anybody ever prayed that prayer? I've had enough. And he said, he said take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. And he laid down under the bush and he fell asleep. Stress, burnout, depression, to the point of he wanted to die. So how do our bodies respond to stress and burnout? According to the experts, burnout will manifest itself in three ways. And I have this in your um, bulletin and worship guide. You might see it as a physical manifestation in the, bo in the body. Often this is where you will see it first. Um, the weight of what you're carrying, you're going to be maybe easily fatigued. Or you maybe have low energy, or you may find it difficult to just do the normal tasks. Those who are battling burnout, burnout often find it difficult to sleep at night, or they just sleep all the time. And this compounds their health issues. Some get headaches, back aches, body aches, and literally feel stress within their body. Some, it increases your blood pressure. Um, others talk about muscle pain. And they try, then when you have so much pain, a lot of times, what, what experts are saying, because of so much stress on your body, that it, mentally that it begins to manifest itself in these physical ways, and people then begin to cope in a number of other ways, whether it be prescription drugs or other kinds of drugs or anything just to cope and get through the day. And so they have physical manifestations. So that's the first one. The second one is this. There are mental implications from stress and burnout. And, we, and two things happen. And this is, um, this is kind of medical, but I think this is really interesting. So we have our, the amygdala, our amygdala enlarges. Everybody say amygdala. amygdala. All right. That's a cool word, amygdala. That's the amygdala. The amygdala is this little almond-shaped part of our brain that God gave us, and it is our alarm system. And it uh, alerts us to when there's trouble. It's the fight-or-flight kind of thing. And when we find ourselves constantly stressed, they've actually proved that this area enlarges, and what it does, it makes us more sensitive that everything is a stressful situation. Everything is fight or flight. And we're more vulnerable to fear. We're more desperate. And we, we just keep compounding more and more anxiety during this. The other part of it, so that so we, we're on this fear, like everything's, we're afraid of everything. The next thing that happens in our brain is this. Our prefrontal cortex um, tends to weaken. And this is the part that separates us from the animal kingdom where we begin to think logically. And it's how we decide things, um, how, how, we, how we do philosophy and, and think about things that are not just cut and dry. And so what happens is when this weakens, we can't make solid decisions because we're being controlled by our fear emotion throughout that whole time. And all of a sudden, we, we used to be confident and we used to be decisive. We find ourselves waffling, going back on decisions, not making any decisions. Some even battle with memory loss and find it difficult to even focus. And some have um, some physical issues, mental issues, or the last thing, emotional issues. You battle with stress and anxiety and burnout. You don't feel very motivated. You're always crying. You're always angry. You're always uh, aloof. You're always just like, um, just out of it, zoning out. You feel chronic self-doubt. You feel like I'm a failure. I don't have what it takes. I'm not good enough. And then you begin to isolate yourself. What does it say there that Elijah did? He went to the, he left his, um, his servant and he went to the wilderness. He went to a worse place. He got himself in a worse place. That was not a good decision, was it? 
because what was going on in his brain during this time. You feel alone and generally miserable. You don't like anything. I don't like my job. I don't like my kids. I don't like my marriage. I don't like myself. I don't like you. And I don't like anything. And as a person of faith, you feel disconnected from God. And then you start feeling guilty that you're disconnected from God or you start to blame God. And you are simply just falling apart a lot of times from the inside. And you say, God, how did you let me get this here? How did you let me get here? I can't take it anymore. Or you say, hey, you know what? Like Elijah did, I'm no good, better than anybody else. Just kill me and let me die. And these were some of the um, symptoms that I was experiencing where outwardly I was... I was physically performing my, my task and jobs, um, getting things done. Um, I wasn't missing uh, work or family obligations. Um, matter of fact, I poured myself into work more so, so I didn't have to think about what was really going on inside me. And, um, and so, but one of the things is, at, at some points, uh, a couple points in life, um, the mental and emotional part just hit me so strong and and it became too much. And then became the whole idea, how transparent should I be? Because I'm a pastor of, of, of a, a small, uh, starting a, a church. I've got I've to show that I'm strong. I can't show weakness. I've got to be, you know, because people don't want a pastor up there going, oh, he's, I'm struggling, you know. They don't want that. They want somebody, they're struggling. They need somebody who's going to tell them how awesome it is and how, how great life is. And, and so I can't show weakness. This is what I thought. And, and when somebody would talk about counselor, I said, no, I can't do that. I can't do that because if someone finds out I'm going to a counselor, then it'll show that I'm weak. Or, or if, if, when if somebody knows a counselor that knows me and they know my story, and oh, my gosh, that would be horrible. And this is the lies you begin to tell yourself and all this time. So then I became not only afraid of people, not afraid of letting my guard down and being transparent, but I became afraid of if I share with somebody, then that's going to be even worse. And fear began to control me. And I was going through the motions, doing things. There were some great high points, but immediately after the high point, I came crashing back down. When I remember being done church, and it would be a great Sunday at church. And then afterwards, it was like you just shut a lever down. I was like... I, I want to go lay under the broom tree and just die. And that was what was going on in me. And then so then I went to a conference, and there was a pastor named Todd Clark who was there. I've gotten to know him a little bit over the years since that time. But he was out in um, Simi Valley, and he stood up on the stage, and he said, I'm, I'm Todd Clark. I'm a pastor. I just got back off my sabbatical and I spent the first five weeks planning my escape from being a pastor. He said, I even considered being a Walmart greeter. He's, and people laughed. He said, I'm serious. And he, he, what he said is he said, I realized I could not do this alone. So I ended up getting help. And it was that if he spoke right to me at that moment, as I sat in this very, very large convention center in, um, in Florida at the time. And um, I remember as he was talking to me, everything just just hit me at that moment. And because before that, I believed no one understood what I was going through. I had too much, and I was alone, and I just need to deal with this. And the hurt that I carry and the weight that I'm dealing with, hey, if I died today, it would be okay because I wouldn't have to deal with it anymore. And I said, either I'm going to just fall apart or I'm going to die. Whichever one comes first is good with me. But as he spoke, he began to to say things to me, and, and I remember they had, and some of you have heard this before, but they had a card about, like, you fill in at the end, 
And I remember I wrote and I put um, that when Todd Clark began to speak, it was as if he was speaking to me because I came here to this conference wondering if I was going to continue being a pastor. And he spoke to me and it really meant something to me and I dropped it in the, the uh, little box that they had there and I went home. And I was in a better jovial mood for a while. You know, it was, okay, I got it. I got my fix at a conference. Anybody ever been part of churches where a pastor gets, goes to a conference and they're back like, they're like trying everything, like, yay! And then give them a couple months, right? But then I got a follow-up letter from this conference. And it said, thanks for being at the conference. And some have said this, I came to this conference wondering if I was going to continue to be a pastor. Jack C. Port Deposit. Fear left right back in at that moment. What if people know that? I'm thinking that. What if that really, oh my, now I'm, now I'm in deeper than I was before. And it's just, it's amazing how you think you're good and then something else happens. So how do we get there? Hopefully you're not there in, in this situation. But if you are, you're here. So there's three common mistakes that I'm going to rip through today that describe what we're experiencing, the problems that many of us experience, that Elijah also experienced. Number one, when it comes to burnout and stress, we run ourselves into the ground. You just go and you go and you go and you go and you go and we run ourselves completely into the ground. This is what Elijah, I'll show you what Elijah did in verse 3. Elijah was afraid and he ran for his life. Now, if you're reading this without knowing a lot about geography, I'm going to show you a couple maps. It says he first went from Mount Carmel area to Beersheba. Let's look at this map right here. So that's where he ran. So if you were in a car, it would take two hours and four minutes. He ran 113 miles. Okay, that's his first jog. And at this point, this is where he's got his um, servant with him. So the servant's probably like <laughs> running, running with him, right? And he gets down there. So 113 miles, and they would do... I mean, he, was, he was moving. He was moving, all right, um, and getting down there. So that's the first one. The second one, I'm going to give you two maps. The second one is the, after Bathsheba, he left his servant and went to um, Mount Sinai, which is where Moses had the Ten Commandments. I'm going to show you the traditional site, and then I'm going to show you the one that I believe because of archaeology and stuff is. It's not too far apart. But if he ran down here where that is, um, you know, you can see up there in Beersheba, that's where he left. He ran a lot more, ran a couple hundred miles. He went into the desert. So you can see there's nothing green there. He's got no water. He had to sit under a broom tree because that's the only thing that's there in the desert. And he's running. And he gets down there. And so that, that, the whole trip now is 376 miles. Now let me show you the other one, which I believe this is probably it. So it's not much different, 356 miles. So what I'm telling you, that is being afraid and running from your life. Anybody ever run from your life? That's what Elijah's trying to do. And he can't do it. He can't get away from himself. But it's interesting what he did and, and, in this. So he ran himself into the ground. So afraid he ran. He was running from him and running to something, anything. He ran and he ran and he ran and he ran. And you may be a college student. You're saying, you're running yourself into the ground. I got to get good grades. I got to work a full-time job. I got to make sure I don't have this debt. I got to live up to everybody's expectations. I got to make sure that I 
join my sorority and fraternity or whatever else. I got to make sure I do that. Or you may say, I got to be the perfect mom. I got to be the perfect dad. I have to provide for my family. I have to be at every single event. I have to live up to everybody's expectations. I got to say, yes, I got to be there. I got to drop everything. I can't give up. I got to keep going. I can't show any weakness. I got to be strong no matter what the situation is. Or you got to be a pastor who's saving the world, and you say, I, got, I don't have time for my own emotional needs. And over and over again, we all make the same mistakes and run ourselves into the ground. The second thing that Elijah did, that we do, we try to do it all on our own. We don't let others in. And then we make ourselves vulnerable, and we don't ask for help. I got this. No, no, hey, everything's great. I got it. And look what Elijah's incredible mistake did in verse 3. It says this. When he came to Beersheba... In Judah, he left his servant there. He left his wingman. He left his buddy. He left his trusted closest friend and went to do battle alone. We know what he wanted to do. He wanted to go just die. Some of you, that's where you are. You don't have, you have a very limited Christian community. No life group support. You're incredible vulnerable by yourself. No iron sharpening iron. No, no praying. Nobody that you can call to pray for you. And the church is just not about coming to church or about watching something. The church is God's people, the people of God, interacting with each other and living out the call of Christ in the world for each other. And when you do it on your own, you start to think, I, I can't tell anybody else. I can't let them in. And the devil starts to whisper, you know, if you really told that person, they would think differently of you. They wouldn't like you at all. And then you get embarrassed and you run yourself into the ground. And the third thing is, we tend to dwell on the negative. There may be a lot of good in your life, but you go right there. And that's what Elijah did. Elijah just did some awesome stuff, didn't he? Prophets of Baal, you know, the, the drought, raising the woman's son from, from the dead. And look at what he says. He says, take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. All the people we talked about in the Old Testament, the ones who just forgot about God, could care less. Hey, I'm no better than them. He, he's comparing himself. Comparison is a big, big breaker for us. I thought, you may look at yourself compared to somebody else and you say, man, I thought I'd be doing more or be in a better place in my life. And then you start to feel failure and you compare, I'm never going to be as happy as them. I'm never going to be as financially strong as them. I'm never going to get it all done. I'll never be happy. I've had enough. Stress becomes burnout and you think it's not worth it anymore. But I want to show you something. That we can be thankful, something that, about this personal, powerful God that we can be so thankful for that in Elijah's darkest moment, when he ran away from everybody else, there's one person who came to him, the Lord. The very same God who wants to come to you today in your wilderness and give you hope and build your faith. God initiated it. God made the move and came to Elijah in the form of an angel. Here's what it says. All at once, the angel did what? Touched him. The angel touched him and said, and said, you know, one of the things is sometimes you may need a touch from God. Notice the angel did not say, hey, loser, what are you doing here underneath that bush? Are you afraid of little old Jezebel? Come on, get real. What's your problem, wimp? Suck it up. You know, if you had prayed more, Elijah, you wouldn't be here. The angel didn't say, you know, I think it's a sin problem, Elijah. If you had sinned less, you wouldn't be here. God's really going to get you now. Didn't say that at all. The angel of the Lord got practical and met him in his place of need. And here's what the angel said. The angel said, get up and eat. 
Have a snack, grab a bagel, right? Grab some, grab some bagels. I, I'm, put it on, you know, like, like our angels do every week, right? You get that little things, you know, I saw you walking with those chocolate-covered things today. I was staying away or else I'd be sinning, right? Um, but, but that's what the angel did. The angel said, hey, hey, get up, get up. He hadn't eaten in all that time. He was, he was so stressed he didn't eat, and that's what we do a lot of times. Get up and eat. Have a, have a snack. And he looked around, and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals. Imagine that smell, you know, like the hot smell. Even like when you walk by Subway, when you're walking out, when you're checking out, you're like, mm, that smells good. You know, I mean, regardless of what it is, you bake bread, it smells good. And that's what he woke up to smelling. And, um, and then he had a jar of water. And he ate and drank, and then what did he do? Laid back down. Lay back down. The angel said, get up and eat. Take care of yourself physically. And after he did that, he fell asleep. I'm going to tell you, one of, the, one of the most spiritual things that you can do for yourself right now is rest. Is rest. Sabbath, time off. Eat a donut, take a nap. Eat a protein bar. If you don't eat that stuff, eat a rice cake. All right? Eat, take two because they're lame. All right? Um, drink a Starbucks caramel macchiato with avocado toast, whatever, all right? And then take a nap. At the moment you start to do that, your spiritual enemy is going to whisper to you, hey, you can't afford to do that. you got so much to do. They're depending on you. What are they going to think if you just, you ate that donut and laid down and went to sleep? You're too important to, to take rest, work more, go more, do more, be there. And you start to experience this false guilt where I'm letting everybody down. But don't let Satan and your mind bully your body. Don't let false guilt talk keep you from what God commanded. In case you don't know, Sabbath is one of the big ten. Sabbath, God, you know, like when God created, it says on, on the last day, what did he do? Rested. God wasn't tired. He did that for you and me. He did that for you and me. And one of the most spiritual things you can do is take a break. Take a week off. Take a day off. Be still and do nothing. Don't worry about it. House is a mess. Eh, it'll still be messy. And you know what? You know what happens when you clean up a house? It gets messy again. And if you have kids, just give up, right? Okay. Um, some of you need to take a break. You need to take a rest. And some of you need more than a rest. Or you need to rest in a different way. And let me explain this to you. For me, I always thought that, um, that a little time off in the future would be enough. And when I was dealing with these things, I would take some time off and that would be enough. And to let you know, um, some of you might remember early in the, in the history of this church, I actually looked at it as a, as a proud thing. I haven't missed a Sunday in six, seven years. That was bad for me, just to let you know. It was really bad for you because I wasn't here, but that, because I was here all the time. But it's, you know, and, and, and so, but it was bad for me because I was getting burned out in my, in my own life. And time off didn't solve the problem. It actually exasperated the problem because when you take the time off and you head it back, you're like, ah, again. Anybody ever come back out of vacation and that next that first day back at work, you're like, no, no, you're supposed to come back, Jesus, so before my, the last day of my vacation, right? Um, no. So what do you need? You need a nap. You might need food. But ultimately, you need to be refilled. And... The problem is that we're not just tired. If you're tired, you take a nap. You know how like when little kids, 
I was talking about this earlier. Like little kids, you make them take a nap and they fight it. And teenagers are too cool to take a nap. And when you're older, that's all you want to do is take a nap. You know? You're like, if somebody came in to your work and said, nap time, you'd be like, you know, let's sleep. Um, but, but ultimately, we need to be refilled. So how do we do that? And, and I actually had some really, like, sound, dumb advice. My, when my counselor was saying to me um, just recently, Jack, we're going to work on some new activities for you. I'm like, new activities that I don't have time for? Yes, new activities that you don't have time for. Why? Because activities, new activities, help me disconnect from the thing that was causing me to sink in the first place. And each of us is very different in the process. So for you, I'll give you a couple lists. Some of us need to do something that's thrilling with a lot of adrenaline. Something that you just really want to do. And some of you may, it may be something that, you know, you've thought about and you've done nothing about it. Some, some of you need to go completely out of, your, out of your comfort zone. Like for some of you, you may say, I want to be, I want to train for MMA fighting. Like you may say that. Sounds good. Or some of you may say, you know what? I want to take flying lessons. Or some people may say, I just want to do like I did when I was a kid and go fishing regularly. Or others may say, I'm going to train for a marathon. And we have counseling for you afterwards if you are. But um, you may want to train for a marathon. Um, and others say, you know what? I'm going to start doing horticulture. Not the stuff that's legal now, but you know what I mean, all right? Um, but some of you may say, hey, I'm going to go hiking. I want to go hiking regularly. I'm going to go. One of the places that I, uh, growing up that I, and in points in my life when I was struggling, that I would go to was Turkey Point. Because you don't have to see anybody there if you don't want to, right? It can just be you and Jesus and go hiking and do some things like that. When you do and you're doing those things, you, you may think about it for a bit, but you won't think about it long. Particularly, like if you're training for MMA, you're not going to be like, bam, oh, I wonder what I got to do to work tomorrow. Oh, bam, you know, you're going to think, I got to learn this. I got to do something. And so it gets your mind off those things that start to pull you down. And some experts would tell you, if you work with your mind, like I do all the time, you might want to disengage your mind and engage your body. If you do laborious work and you engage your body all the time, you may want to do something that engages your mind. See what I mean? It's shifting, it's shifting gears there. Um, so you want to rest, you want to do that. So uh, for others, it may be that you don't need, you don't need that thrill-seeking. That's your whole life. So you need something quiet and meditative. You may want to go to the beach and not lug all the kids' stuff over the dune. You just want to go by yourself and sit and go, ah, right? Or um, you may, you may uh, decide that you want to read a book every month or week or day, I don't know. You may want to decide, I need, for you young moms and dads, I need adult conversation, okay? And I need to change my snotty shirt from all the little kids, right? You guys remember those days? Come on. When I was asked, when we, we were going through some of this, I was asked, what do you need? We all need different rhythms, different pace, different stuff to refill. And some of you may need community and people. So when, when I was asked, what else do you need? Like went through a list, what else do you need? What else do you need? I drew a blank. And I'm kind of embarrassed to say this, but I was going through a, through a list and um, what else do you need? And it was like, what else do you need, Pastor Jack? It starts with a G and rhymes with odd. Oh, God, yeah, I need God. Or she'd say to me, I don't hear you saying much about Jesus in this. That's what we need to refill properly. 
That's what we really need. What do we need? You say, well, I got Jesus. I have a relationship. No, I'm saying you need a personal encounter with Jesus. You need time set aside to spend with Jesus through the Holy Spirit. Because what, what did the angel first do here to Elijah when he was dying? The, the food came later. She touched the angel, he, whatever it was, touched him. God reached out and touched him. Some of us just need a touch from the Lord. Did you say, I got you. It's going to be okay. And look what happened after a long journey. I'm skipping parts of the story here. But the Lord told Elijah, he gets to the cave. After he gets up, he eats and he runs to Mount Sinai. And there's a cave there. And he's at the cave of Mount Sinai. And he's sleeping again, hanging out in the cave. And it says, the Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord. For the Lord is about ready to pass by. So this is what happens. And then all of a sudden, there is a great, powerful what? Wind. wind a great, powerful wind. And look what it did. It, it, it just burst apart the mountains and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was a what? Earthquake. Boom. Earth is shaken. Earthquake shaken. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And then there came The wind, the Lord was not in it. The earth and the earthquake, the Lord was not in it. The fire, the Lord was not in it. And you've heard me say this before. As cool as the song September is, he was not in earth, wind, and fire. All right, everybody like that group? All right. I should have photoshopped God in the back there, you know. He wasn't there. Where was God? He wasn't in the extraordinary isn't that where we look for God in the, in the, we even call them, you know, acts of God. We were looking for the fire and the earthquake and the wind, but God wasn't in the extraordinary. He was in the ordinary, the whisper. God is in the ordinary of your life. When you're changing diapers, God's there. When you're doing dishes, when you're trying to love that person that's really difficult to love, when you're trying to pay bills, when you're driving people from one place to the next and you're frustrated he's there the goodness of God he's there to speak to you and he whispers to you and I've said this before but I, I think we need to be reminded why is God's voice so quiet with everything else so loud in life why is God whispering he whispers because he's close you don't go up to somebody to their ear and go hey you don't come by and go, wind, you know, you don't do that. When you come up to somebody and you're sharing something, you say, hey, I got to tell you something. Or if you're like my dad, hey, hey, dad never knew how to whisper, right? <laughs> ever, ever. He'd be like, that person looks weird. And I'd say, dad, they hear you, right? Um, True. Um, but, but the reason why God whispers it's because he's near. He's near. Elijah was in the darkness of his cave in despair. And a whisper drew him out. You may be in the darkness of a cave on the edge of burnout. Just listen for that whisper to draw you out. The Lord tells us in the scripture that if you feel brokenhearted, he says, I'm close to the brokenhearted. He says, if you're feeling overwhelmed and crushed, he says, I save those who are crushed in spirit. 
If you feel hurt, he says, you're not helpless. I'm here to, here to heal that hurt. If you feel discouraged, he says, you're never without hope. You say, I feel weak, I feel weak, and I can't go on. And he says, when you're weak, my strength is made perfect. You may feel alone. And he says, no, you may feel struck down, but you're not abandoned. I will never leave you and never forsake you. Jesus gives us something really awesome. And this is for somebody here today. In, Ma in the Matthew's gospel, Jesus says, are you tired? And it's from the message version, which is like, it's not a literal translation, but it's a modern paraphrase. Are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? Anybody? Are you, are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out? He says, come to me. Get away with me and you recover your life. That's Sabbath, just getting away with Jesus. I'll show you how to take real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. And learn the unforced rhythms of grace. How many of us can say our lives are managed by the unforced rhythms of God's grace? And then he says this, I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn how to live freely and lightly. How many would like that? How many have something within the last week or in the last month or the last year that weighted you down to the point that you were Elijah and you said, I just want to die. I can't do this anymore. What do you need today? Some of you need rest. And I will tell you, at some point today, Jack will be asleep on the couch. And my kids will take pictures of it because they've done it before. Don't care. Um, but... Other. We also need to be still before God. We need a different rhythm than the world's going to give to us. We need a different type of rest. And I promise everybody that we all need Jesus. You need an encounter, not just a, a head knowledge, but you need an encounter. You need a touch from the Holy Spirit. You need to, to experience the presence of our good and great God, who's not just in the extraordinary, but he's in the ordinary He's on, when that alarm goes off, he's right there. He says, up and at him. Here we go. I'm with you. Where are we go, what are we going to do today? I'm going to get frustrated. Well, that's all right. I'll be with you. We'll make it. He's with you, and he's coming to you at this moment. And sometimes all we just need is one touch, one touch from the Lord to come to Jesus, and you can live lightly and freely. As the worship team's coming up now, I just want to say in this series, the main thing I want to share with you is if you struggle with any of these things, do what you need to get to a good place with the right people, okay? Nothing wrong than having a counselor. Nothing, find a good one. If you go to the first one, you don't like them, there's plenty more. Get connected to the body of Christ. Get connected to people that's gonna pray and, and walk with you and journey with you in life. And ultimately, get connected to Jesus. May, you may have been connected to Jesus, but you're also at a point in life where you're just like, I need something. I need some presence. If you, if you need that, get connected to him. Get connected with each other and just see if he doesn't change the outlook. The stuff's still going to happen. Guess what? Everything that makes you depressed and anxious and frustrated and negative and, um, you know, just, and, and we talked about trauma, all that stuff is there. And if you went through something that caused trauma in your life, that, I can't remove that. But I know that Jesus can heal it. All right.
So let's stand as we uh, conclude worship today. Heavenly Father, um, I thank you for your word. And, and Lord, many of us, if they're like me or just at a point where you say it sometimes, I know I'm not going to find peace of mind until I'm six feet under and up with you. And that may be how we feel, but I also recognize that your word, you promised us life and abundantly. And that's just not that we have all the things that we need. It's just that we, we strive too much for happiness, where what we need is joy. With a state of mind and a presence that, that Lord, we just have, have you right here with us, just loving us through all things. And so as Elijah, many of us are hanging out under a broom tree and then we're, we're isolating ourselves. I know I'm an isolator. If I don't feel like dealing with something, I start cutting people off and just want to crawl in someplace and be done. But God, you're right there tapping me on the side and saying, hey, get something to eat. Get something to drink. And lay back down and quit looking for me in the fire. Quit looking for me in the wind, in the hurricane, and quit looking for me in the earthquake and all the other things that are shattering around you. Just as Jesus said, come away with him. Get still and just hear that whisper. Jack, I love you. Jack, I gave my life for you. Jack, I got a plan for your life. Jack, I'm going to take the years the locusts stole and I'm going to give them back to you and renew them. You fill your name in any of those places. The Lord's whispering to you today. I know you're heartbroken. I know you're frustrated. But the Lord says, I'm near to the brokenhearted. I saved the crushed in spirit. See, but God, this wasn't how my marriage was supposed to be. This wasn't how my kids were supposed to end up. This wasn't how that person wasn't supposed to leave. That person wasn't supposed to die. I'm not supposed to have this health concern. He says, I got you. I'm here. I'm the Alpha and the Omega. The beginning and the end. And you are my child. Hear the Lord whispering to you today. Whatever you're struggling with, our God is great. He's amazing. Lord, I just thank you for the people here and their giving, those who are giving the tithe and offerings. For those who are visiting today, we want you to just receive and listen for that whisper from the Lord calling your life. We don't expect you to give, but for everyone who does give, we ask for your Holy Spirit to be upon those gifts for your ministry around the world. God, it's not for us. It's not for Haven. It's not our logo. The only logo that we really want to have is Jesus. So move in this place. We love you. Amen.
right. You're believing for it? Again, because the series ended doesn't mean that problems end. Doesn't mean that we just say, oh, great. Oh, I'm not burning out anymore. I'm not dealing with trauma. We're dealing with it because we're still breathing. And we're in a fallen world. We're here to help and help connect you to anybody you need to. Have a great week this week. All right? Don't go lying under any broom trees. But have a great week. God bless. Love you all. We'll see you next week.